May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be free from harm. May all beings love life. May all beings awaken. Welcome to another Cuke Audio Podcast. I'm DC, Puba of Cuke Audio and Cuke Archives, doing our part to preserve the legacy of Shindu Suzuki and those whose paths cross his, and anything else that comes to mind. I pray that you and yours are safe and comfortable, free from economic hardship, and able to get out and do whatever it is you want within the limitation of the universal precept of do as little harm as possible. So today we have a guest, Mark Foote, F-O-O-T-E. Mark will tell us uh, his unique way-seeking mind story and the uh, very precise, intense study he has done, which you can read about at zenmudra.com and on Facebook at Zazen Notes. I've been in touch with Mark well, 20 years or something. I mean, uh, I think I know him because of uh, Cucumber.com in the early years, maybe uh, Crooked Cucumber. Uh, uh, but I was living in Sebastopol and he was living in Petaluma. So we got together at Coffee Cats. I met him and he's, I've posted a number of things about him through the years uh, and I followed him. Uh, as well as I follow anybody. Uh, <laughs> well, not anybody. <laughs> as well as I follow most people who I follow. Um, anyway, so uh, look, after we've had our pause to meditate, let's give Mark a call. So when you hear the bell, if you're of such a mind, hit pause and meditate or whatever. For as long as you wish, and when you're ready to come back, hit unpause, and we'll be here to hit the bell to end the meditation or whatever. Give Mark Foot a call. Hey, Dave. Hi, Mark. How you doing? Good, thanks. How are you? Okay, okay. Uh, yes, all is well here. Uh, where are you located? I'm in Lucerne, California, next to lovely Clear Lake. No kidding. That's in Lake County? Yes, Lake County. Oh, huh. And you know it's called uh, Clear Lake because the skies are uh, mostly clear here, not because the lake is clear. Oh, is that right? 
Uh, yeah. And is that true? Are the skies mostly clear? Uh, they were. <laughs> the great Northern California firefighter fire uh, outbreaks. Oh, I see. Uh, yeah. Kind of uh, gave us some orange sunsets for a while. Usually oh. the one that, uh, you know, there was a fire in Lake County in, uh, let's see, must have been 2018 that uh, ran uh along the hills just to the east of me ran on the other side of the hills up along the my side of the lake mm. so that was pretty close Did, didn't you used to be like in petaluma or somewhere like that I did. yeah i did i lived in uh petaluma and i lived in forestville and i lived in sonoma town and I lived in uh, Sebastopol. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Both sides of Petaluma. Have you and I met? I can't remember. We did. We did. We met at a coffee shop in Sebastopol. Did we meet and each we, other? I mean, yes, and did, were we there to be with each other? Yes, we were. I thought so. I needed reminding. Uh, At the close of the uh, the uh, uh, talk, you introduced me to your son who came by. Uh, Clay, my younger son. Yes, Clay. In fact, I think your former wife came by too. Elon. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. Something like that. Which coffee shop? That's a good question. I've been trying to recall. It must have been Coffee Cats. Which is no longer called Coffee Cats. Oh, that was a great um, name. Yeah. Is it uh, still there in in, in Sebastopol? Yeah. yeah, it's still there. There's still a coffee shop at that location. It's just, I guess, it changed ownership, and they changed the name. To what? That's a good question. Oh, all right. That's enough. <laughs> that's that's enough of that. Well, that's interesting. Well, so. Uh, how do you spend your time these days? Um, mostly in front of the computer. And what are you doing? Uh, well, today I actually did some work uh, for the people I work for, which is uh, Beautiful Places, a company called Beautiful Places, all slammed together in camel case, which means capital B and a capital P in the places, but it's all run together, beautiful places. Wait a minute, capital B and P, beautiful places, yeah. Uh, what so What is it? What is it? Oh. They uh, rent homes in the wine country primarily, uh, Napa oh. and Sonoma. Oh. So they'll rent, they'll rent places in uh, Sonoma County and in the town of Sonoma for three nights, four nights, five nights, two nights. And they yeah. rent houses in the Napa Valley, but those are 30-night minimum. Uh, uh, wow, wow. My sister rented, uh, we've rented homes in, even though I, you know, I lived in there, we rented homes there for my mother's 90th. We rented one, really nice. Oh, we had a giant family reunion. 
And my sister rented a place in Napa for her, I think her 70th birthday. So it wasn't, it was, uh, and then her 80th birthday is going to be in September. And it's, uh, I think she's not going to rent a home. They're just going to go have lunch somewhere. It's so expensive now. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, everything's expensive. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Well, um, you and I. Anyway. Yeah. You, yeah. That was part of my day. And yeah. the other part was getting to writing on albums. I, um, I get in conversations on the uh, website, the albums, which is just a forum site with a lot of crazy people writing about religious and secular, but spiritual topics. Now, what's so, the name of it again? The name of it is the Dow Bums. Uh, like so, like D-A-L, D-A-O? D-A-O. Yeah, D-A-O. The Dow Bums. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> They're crazy. So am I. Yeah. <laughs> and and what are you writing about within uh, the Dow Bums? Oh, the things I usually write about. Well, tell us um, about the things you usually write about. Well, uh, let's see. Uh, today, uh, one of the albums was uh, confused about um, what it means to um, have a ceasing of action that's a contact of freedom. You know, there's a, a line from the Pali sermons where Gautama says, what is the ceasing of action? And he says, that would be the ceasing of action of speech, deed, and mind, uh, such that uh, there's a contact of freedom. So he starts out by saying, you know, that what he means by action is determinate thought in speech, body, and mind, speech, body, and thought. And then he says, what's the ceasing of action? It's the contact of, it's a ceasing by which you contact freedom in those three arenas. So, you know, he doesn't, he does not say a cessation of determinate thought, which is what he defined action with but only that there's a ceasing by which you contact freedom. So, so mm -hmm. believe it or not, that's what I wrote about. I don't know that the guy I was writing that I was corresponding to will understand, but it, it's definitely the heart of the matter for me. For me. So yeah. there I was. Writing. Well, that doesn't matter. All that matters is that you understand what you're writing. <laughs> well, right. I mean, I'm writing for myself. I, I'm aware of that, uh -huh. and uh, it helps. It helps, and it helps to keep it front of mind. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I am aware of that. At the same time, every now and then, uh, somebody picks up on something. There's a guy, uh, you know, I have a Facebook page called Zazen Notes. Zazen and Notes, right. 
Yeah, that I've been notes, and all I put up there are links to my blog. So mm. uh, the, uh, the latest one, uh, which I sent you a link to, is uh, uh, called "A Way of Living," and I got a comment on that one from a guy who said, "Enlightenment just happens." Um, which is interesting. Uh, so he was claiming that it's kind of a everyday spontaneous occurrence, uh, not a view held by many, but I had to agree with him in the sense that uh, I think the the cessation of determinant thought in inhalation and exhalation is an everyday occurrence, at least in falling asleep, other times as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that uh, the final attainment Gautama described as a cessation of a determinant thought in feeling and perceiving. And I think that similarly comes about through an internal well-being, an internal necessity. And so I think he's right. Enlightenment, you know, the, the attainment associated with enlightenment may in fact uh, happen spontaneously to all of us. Uh, the difference being that in Gautama's case, he came up with independent causation and the four truths which is what really is associated with his enlightenment. So ah. he had this attainment. He attained a state of concentration, and the, the insight that he had followed that attainment. Hey, excuse me. Insight. Excuse me. Yes. What are you doing? Yes. What are you doing? I'm walking on my chair. To, I'm have you on speakerphone. Is it not good? Yeah, it's it's uh, uh well your your rocking chair. I mean, it's it's not louder than your voice, so if you want to keep doing it it's okay, <laughs> but it's it's like having some sort of clatter. Uh it, I got percussion. It, yeah, it's per, yeah, it's a type of percussion, sort of soft percussion. Uh it's not like striking. Well, it. Uh anyway, uh, uh, the, the, you know, the mics pick up unless you have one like I've got, which is very expensive. <laughs> Somebody bought me, very nice. Same one Joe Rogan uses. Uh, but actually not that expensive when you think what Joe Rogan could afford. Um, anyway, they, uh, they pick up background noise, of course. Um, yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah, it sort of sounds like a sort of scraping. Yep. Well, it's an old wooden chair. Yeah. Yeah, and it does mind. have a feeling like like uh, a, a drummer, a little bit like with the brushes. Maybe I was using it for that. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, so that's the kind of thing I write about and think about. And especially lately, I think about um, 
uh, dropping weight on uh, dropping the weight onto the ligaments. And uh, well, explain what you mean by that. Well, uh, uh, in Tai Chi, you know, they're very big on uh, relaxing and uh, thinking. Uh, it's called think. And uh, my take is that I'm looking to find automatic movements, automatic activities, sort of like rocking on my chair unconsciously, making terrible creaking noises, but more like stuff that I'm conscious of. <laughs> I'm looking to find uh, a way to drop my weight and I drop my mind such that the activity of the body uh, in inhalation and exhalation is automatic. There is no strain involved there. It's all coming off one point. Uh, so I look for that. I look to recover that. And I find that... Um, it's a lesson every day in terms of, you know, letting that activity, uh, relaxing that activity and finding the stretch that goes along with it such that uh, <clears throat> I'm not uh, holding anything. Mm. Mm. You want to drop body and mind, you got to drop body and mind so to speak, but there's a whole learning curve. For me, there's a whole learning curve. Some people are more talented than others. Hmm. You, I, <laughs> you, I'm re I was listening to your podcast about how you can set the Lotus without a problem. And I, I'm, I'm jealous. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't say without a pro Maybe I said, um, I sit uh, I when, when when I sit in uh, the mornings here, I always sit in half lotus. I stopped sitting okay. full lotus in uh, around oh god, probably around nineteen seventy eight or something. I sat full lotus constantly, you know, everything through sessions till then. But you know, I noticed people having knee problems and having operations and stuff. That, that really? were clearly caused by people, uh, religiously following, uh, the Suzuki Roshi's admonition, don't move. And, uh, which he would, uh, you know, some people had like would be having serious, serious pain and problems. And, and his solution would be, well, just keep sitting very much like Japanese sports. Uh, very bad, uh, advice, I think. If you don't want to have a knee yeah. operation or something, uh, yeah, Japanese like in, in. I read a book about baseball. It's really good. Called you got to have wah. Yeah, he said you know a pitcher would be developing you know uh, an elbow problem, and uh, the thing would just throw harder, throw more, and it's completely opposite of sports medicine uh, elsewhere. Uh, so uh, yeah. uh, as soon as I felt. Uh, a uh, started feeling 
Mm, you know, a pain in my knee when I sat full lotus. I thought, okay, I'm not going to sit full lotus. And and I, uh, you know, I backed off right away. Uh, Good for you. Good for you. Yeah, because, yeah, you can't, you know, it, 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 it's idiot practice to do everything uh, your teacher says w- without, you know, you got to be responsible for yourself. Uh, yeah. People are always blaming teachers for all this stuff that they went along with. Uh, and, well, uh, but yeah. anyway. Uh, Coleman was more generous about it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember hearing him say, you know, take your time with the Lotus. Yeah. So that, that's an admonition to learn to sit the Lotus, which I took seriously for, you know, 40 years, mm-hmm. um, but really past 35 minutes um, at my best, uh, not so good past 35 minutes. And I yeah. can tell. Yeah. But even Coben, I mean, the last time I saw Coben, he was sitting a one-week session, and I showed up for the last couple of days being a slacker. And uh, – he was sitting his third one-week session in a row, and he confessed that now he'd never had pain in the lotus, but now he maybe had, like, present moon's worth of pain in his knees mm-hmm. at the end of, you know, three consecutive seven-day sessions. Mm. So I guess it happens to the best of us, and uh, I've been sitting nothing but Path Lotus uh, for the last five years, and Burmese some of the time. Burmese, and, yeah. I, I, I uh, in the Vipassana retreats. That's what the, uh, there was only one uh, Vipassana retreat later here, and there, you know, they're they're from Myanmar, except one from Indonesia, a woman, a renegade woman. But anyway, that they recommended Burmese, which means just. Uh, Putting your instead of putting uh, say the top foot on your thigh, just put it in front of your other foot, right? Right. That's yeah. that. Yeah. So you know, uh, if I'm if, you know in a, in a Vipassana retreat sitting all day, uh, I yeah, would I would tend number, to right? sit Burmese, but I'd also sit like Taylor, uh, and I I'd, I'd bring well you know I didn't have the you know, I didn't have the uh, new student enthusiasm that I'd had when I was younger. I would also bring one of these sitting benches, uh, right. and uh, I would use it for the lectures and for, let's say, one time in the afternoon, one time in the morning. Just take the made it easier. Um, I think you're being great guns, even so, Dave. I really do. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, you know, I I sat 40 in the middle of the night a couple of nights ago. It's the first time I'd done that in a while. Mm. But now I'm doing 25s and uh, sloppy half lotus, you know, the, the ankle is on the other calf, not up on the thigh. So, nevertheless, yeah. um, it, it it's good for me. I mean, I feel like 
things are coming around. Something's coming around. I'm I'm happy with what's going on. Yeah. Well, you're you're lucky, and I'm lucky because a lot of people can't do this. I mean, I I when I'm working, uh, all the places where I work, I can pull my legs up. There, I don't sit in chairs much. Just a little to, for a variety. Uh, everywhere I work, I basically work with my legs up in, you know, an easy posture. You know, not in half lotus, not not in Burmese, really. Just uh, with my legs up, I can sit like that uh, pretty much all day, and I don't get any pain. And also, I want to say one thing about the pain: the pain that I quit sitting full lotus for was a different type of pain. I went, ah, that that's not good because, of course, I had pain. When I said, you know, if I even one period, I'd start feeling pain after 30 minutes or something, but not that much. And says Sheen's sometimes, you know, of course, it would be uh, just having to not grin and bear it. Uh, but I could tell those weren't dangerous types of pain. At some point, mm-hmm. it gets to be dangerous. And my feeling there was some of these old-fashioned Japanese teachers with their no pain, no gain trip and grin and bear it. No, not grin and bear it. Uh, that that they gave very bad advice in terms of of uh, whether you were you know uh, you know of uh, knee uh, health. But uh, I don't yeah. know. You know, everybody's different on that. You know, one, one thing that's interesting to me is Richard Baker. Came to the Zen Center, he could not get into uh, a lotus posture, and and it took him. He he was one of those people. It just took forever, and he finally got into it. But in his adult life, now I see him sitting. You know, even now, just well, I don't know about right now, but I was with him. You know, a few years ago, uh, he. And, 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 uh, you know, I was a Jisha at Tassahara and, and in the city and at Green Gulch and stuff. Uh, he would sit at a desk with, you know, like me. Uh, but, but he'd have a floor desk where he could, I always have places where I can put my feet down, you know, to rest them and then pull them back up. Uh, he, he got to where he could sit, you know, through sessions and sit working. Uh, and uh, I, I thought that was an unusual, you know, uh, what would you say, an unusual history of sitting. Because a lot of times people that have a really hard time getting started continue to have a hard time. But there's just there's all sorts of different stories uh, about yeah. sitting and posture and I all think, that. You know, I think there is a lot to be said for um you know, striking a point in the in the posture that um, makes the activity automatic. You know, if you can, uh, it's like finding your center of gravity, but it's a little more than that because uh, it requires presence of mind to continue uh, in a place that makes the activity automatic. But I think for a lot of the Japanese teachers, they found their way to that early and 
their experience was that they could do impossible things um, that way. Um, and so when they would say things like, you know, more Zazen, I remember getting that advice. Uh, it It's probably good for you if you can strike a balance and the activity in the posture and the, in the breath becomes automatic to where you're keeping a presence with a point at a point. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's your concern. That's what it's about. Uh, for me, you know, I, I can do that, but there are lessons in my anatomy. There are lessons in the stretch and activity that's involved. That uh, you know, I had a nerd posture. I grew up with the nerd posture. You know, head forward, <laughs> a yeah. briefcase full of books. You know, full of my thoughts. I'm still full of my thoughts. <laughs> and, uh, obviously, uh, so easier for some than others, and especially I think in Japan, where some of that postural stuff, some of that you know, physical gesture is kind of baked into the culture in a way. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, a big difference, uh, not only in Japan, but in, in, uh, uh, you know, Asia, in, in, in uh, more primitive cultures, people grow up sitting on the floor. And right. that just makes all the difference in the world. You know, I, 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 I don't know if, if, you know, the, the sort of advice of, uh, you know, if you got like pain in your, in your legs, just keep sitting. Maybe it's not that big up. Maybe it's the right advice for somebody who grew up sitting on the floor. Her, uh, you know, Shoto Harada, uh, Harada Roshi, who I, uh, studied with in Okayama, Japan. He thought sitting on the floor and having the hara as the center of gravity was the basis of Japanese culture. And as they lose it, he says the whole culture will fall apart. And he just saw chaos in the streets as a result of not having hara as the center of not not, not only your body, but the whole culture. Yeah. I've I've lately... uh... I've quite taken to uh, a quote that Omori Sogan offers in his uh, introduction to Zen training. He quotes, I think it's Hida Hiramitsu, uh, who says that uh, one should keep an equilibrium between the hara and the koshi. I didn't even know there was a word koshi. Koshi is like your back, your lower back or something. Right, behind the uh, sacrum and the lower back, especially yeah. the sacrum, behind the pelvis. Yeah, koshi kairu is uh, one way to say to sit. Right. So what, what he advised was keep a, an equilibrium between the hara and the koshi. And he said you want to bring the center of gravity over the uh, center of the triangle of the lower body, essentially. Now, what exactly he's saying there, uh, not quite clear to me, but by bringing the balance slightly forward, 
I find that does uh, somehow uh, precipitate the activity, uh, which if I can relax and calm the stretch that's going on, uh, it's a good way to find uh, a switch to a point where the activity becomes automatic. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I talk in my latest write about Feldenkrais's recipe, you know, for uh, side to side, forward and back and around in a circle with the upper body. And I say that the object of those exercises is to allow the weight to rest in the ligaments of the lower body, especially the ones between the sacrum and the pelvis. And the ideas, he says, the idea is if you bring the weight forward, bring the center of gravity forward, uh, when you're sitting in a chair, the action of standing will be automatic. The legs will stand without any conscious effort. So I think Hida Hiromitsu is talking about the same thing. If you keep an equilibrium between the har and the koshi and you, uh, let the center of gravity come forward a bit. Why there's a way there to uh, discover the auto automatic, an automatic activity in the movement of breath, a single point where there's automatic activity. So I'm excited about that in my in my practice because it mm. seems like there's a uh, crossover there in mm. uh, uh, posture, and my posture is still bad, but I think uh, what is being recommended there is a good way for me to uh, find the correction uh, that both uh, makes the posture more effortless and uh, syncs me with in my breathing, so to speak, which is really, you know, when I sit, I'm looking for that. Um, I'm not looking for enlightenment. I'm looking to uh, sync my body and my breathing somehow. Um, yeah. That is yeah. useful for me. That, that I think can change my life. That's a direction I can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, you're dealing with something that's real. <laughs> exactly. Well, at least, at least, uh, it's apparently real. <laughs> Seems to be real. Uh, you've got some proof of it. <laughs> it's real when I feel it. Yeah. It, 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 I know it when I feel it, and I know what, what it means for me. Um, it, it takes me out of myself. Yeah. And that, that's an important part of it. Yeah. Oh, what, one thing. Uh, now, when I sit half lotus, I alternate right and left. I mean, yeah. this yeah. morning I sat. Uh, well, on Sundays, you know what I do on Sundays, come to think of it, I sit like in a chair because I think there's all these people doing that. I, I should do that. And Sundays, uh, I don't, you know, I don't have any particular amount of time. You know, there's, it's, uh, it's the only day I don't do yoga and it's the only day I don't, uh, I, I, uh, I, I walk. I still walk. Uh, there but, you go. I've got to walk. Uh, but, but, um, right lotus is, is, uh, 
uh, more natural. It's easier. Uh, right. And uh, left lotus. Um, see, you know, I, 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 uh, I swing back and forth. But I not only swing back and forth. I go as far as I can, like more like a mm-hmm. yoga thing. And in yeah. half lotus, uh, it 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 wants to start off with me leaning to the side. I've got to, you know, after a while, it 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 it's um it straightens up or you know at the end I can I can push further uh which yeah, side, yeah I know what you're talking about yeah um and um uh uh one thing uh that that uh in, in terms of the hara that uh uh and and that being the center of gravity now all you know, in Zazen, all, all the teachers that I've known emphasized putting your focus on your hara. Suzuki Roshi would say the tummy, which was a little irritating to me because it's, you know, it goes back. My parents stopped using the word tummy at an appropriate time before I started yeah. getting embarrassed. And I had friends whose parents and and teachers that we would keep using the word tummy, and of course I associate it with being a, like a, a a toddler, and I so I had a negative feeling about the word yeah, t- tummy, and I never got it's over that good. with Suzuki using the word tummy. I, there'd be something in me going, "Hey, that's a word for little tiny kids." I'm not a little kid anymore. Uh, <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> anyway, he would say Tara and Tandon. Some which are the same thing. Uh, yeah, and well, you know what I think the important on that left side. Yeah, uh, one one of the things I've been working on is uh, you know trying to uh, actually three three points I try to keep in mind, and one of them is uh, the tailbone. Uh, another one is the lower abdominals. Uh, the abdominals in the area of the lower abdomen. And the last of them is, you know, the breath that's moving in and out of my skull behind my nose, believe it or not. So there's somehow, if I try to bring forward uh, a mindfulness of my spine at the tailbone, uh, that's not really part of the spine, but at the tailbone, uh, and then I look to relax the muscles in the lower abdomen, it's like sitting on the left side uh, oftentimes uh, is about activity and stretch in that area. So putting my mind there is uh, an introduction to especially relaxing the lower abdominals. Uh, the the part about leaning to one side, I, I oftentimes sitting to the left after 10, 15 minutes or something, it's like I'm I'm not thinking about tailbone and uh, lower abdomen. I'm thinking about somewhere up underneath the the ribs in the lower spine and the abdominals up there toward the upper part of the abdomen. So I'm looking for you know relaxing activity that is in the abdominals and becoming aware of stretch in the ligaments as uh, kind of the source of that activity. 
So I look to the ligaments as the source of the activity. Then I can keep going on. Whereas, uh, but I can't, I can't find the ligaments without appropriate relaxation in the abdominals. So it's kind of a, a catch 22 that way, but, and all of it goes away. You know, it all goes away if I can't return to the one point, you know, the singular uh, point. But I, I, I don't think it's helpful to emphasize the tantian because to emphasize what the tantian, you know, the 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 tendon, the oh that point below and behind the navel are are to emphasize the mind and the hara because I find it much more useful to think that my attention, my mind can uh, fall anywhere in my body, and in fact, I need to keep the whole body open to the presence of mind. Uh, I have to have that going on or I can't uh, coordinate relaxing my abdominals and uh, calming the stretch of ligaments. Yeah. So there's a kind of rhythm there. Yeah, well, that's really interesting. You you have, um, uh, you know, I know of no one uh, who... um, has uh, as uh, uh, what would you say as, as, as has an approach like yours that is so um, di- you have a discipline uh, you know it, I have to <laughs> uh, you you have a unique discipline and it uh, you know I've been uh, 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 you know, getting stuff from you about it for decades, uh, and and it, uh, it's um, yeah, it's uh, pretty impressive. Does it have a? Uh, have, do you, do you have any? Uh, what are your sources for this? Um, I mean, most people like you know yeah. Charlotte Selvert was probably she's. Mm-hmm. Charlotte Selver was one of the founding teachers, uh, uh, founding in, in the, uh, say the, the human potential movement, a body awareness, uh, wow. sensory awareness. She was like the, uh, best known sensory awareness teacher. Uh, and, uh, I've, I've taken classes with her and uh, she was German and she and her husband, Charles, uh, 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 you know who Norman Fisher is. Uh, they left their home to Norman. It's uh, they were original landowners in uh, our very go way back in uh, Muir Beach. I guess Charles was or something. It's uh, like way up on top. It's the highest place. It's really neat. Anyway, Charlotte uh, had uh, and 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 she did um, workshops with uh, Suzuki Roshi. She had a lineage, you know, of where her teaching came from. And uh, do you have a lineage? No, not per se. Uh, What I have is some research in India on pigs, where they established that the ligaments between the sacrum and the pelvis, uh, in particular the sacroiliac ligaments, you know, the 
the sacrum doesn't really have a joint with the pelvis. It's just held by ligaments uh, between the wings of the pelvis. So they did some research on pigs in India in, I don't know, 2015, 2019. Uh-huh. And, uh, they established that the stretch in those ligaments uh, has an effect on the muscles, on the muscle activity in the lower back and around the the glutes. Uh, and of course, I've been going for some time on the assumption that <clears throat> stretching the ligaments could precipitate activity in various muscle groups. But uh, they're very careful when they talk about the effect of the stretch of ligaments on the muscle groups and what they really uh, are willing to <clears throat> extend is that um, the stretch of ligaments affects uh, something called reciprocal innervation, which is uh, like when you walk. Uh, reciprocal innervation means that when the muscles on one side of the body are active, the nervous system works in such a way that the muscles on the other side of the body are inhibited so that you get a, a pace. So when they talk about the stretch of ligaments and when they talk about ligaments at the sacrum affecting the glutes and the lower back muscles, they're not willing to say that it precipitates activity, but they're willing to say that it has an effect. Who is they? Um, scientists. You know, you go looking at the research on uh, activity out of the stretch of ligaments or acti action associated with the stretch of ligaments. And the research on the pigs in India is the, the biggest and most recent piece. But apart from that, there's some very interesting research that was done by a guy named Bartolink in the 50s. Bartolink was trying to figure out why the annuluses in the lower spine didn't just pop when an Olympic weightlifter picks up a huge weight because they'd done studies and they, at that point, they recognized that the annuluses could not take that kind of pressure. <clears throat> so the assumption was something was going on with the abdominals. And what Bartolink did was put a rubber ball surgically into the abdomens of weightlifters and measure the pressure there. And oh, my God. Was, That's what amazing. he said was Achoo. pressure in the fluid ball of the abdomen goes up in proportion to the weight that's lifted. Right? Uh. So the significance of this to him was uh, that it was, he did some electrical measurements as well and determined it was the abdominals not the rectus, that mm -hmm. were inducing the pressure in the abdominal cavity. And the assumption was that that pressure in the abdominal cavity was supporting the annuluses of the lower spine. Uh, and uh, there's, there's more research from some people in the 80s, from uh, Farfan, Krakowiecki, and uh, LeMay. And what they did was mathematical modeling. They didn't actually do physical experiments. But what they they were studying the same thing, which is how can a weightlifter pick up that much weight? The pressure from the abdominals didn't seem to be uh, enough. Uh, so what they did was uh, a lot of mathematics, and they figured out that given a flattening of the lower back and uh, pressure from the abdominals, 
a pressure in the abdominal cavity, I should say. So fluid pressure pressing backward against the fascia, thoracolumbar fascia behind the spine. That pressure can actually move the thoracolumbar fascia like a millimeter or something, a ridiculously small amount, backward away from the spine. And that acts like a suspension bridge to pass the stress over the annuluses of the spine. So Farfan also made note that there's one place in the body where muscles can have an effect by a push, not a pull. Muscles contract, right? Mm -hmm. So anyway, he said the muscles behind the sacrum are enclosed on three sides by bone. When they contract, the mass of the muscles there uh, increases. The bulk of the muscles increases. And because it's enclosed on three sides, it's only got one way to go, which is to press backwards against that very same thoracolumbar fascia, right? So all of this to me rings exactly like descriptions in the Tai Chi literature and in some of the literature of India about the chi transiting, you know, the chi accumulates at the Tantian and then overflows to the tailbone, shoots up the spine to the top of the head. So I'm thinking, you know, this, this sounds like it's really a mechanism of fascial support. Uh, and when I sit, I find that uh, that kind of image, that visualization of what's going on in the stretch of ligaments and the activity of the body is pretty useful to me. Um, it keeps the stress out of my knees. I'm able to sit now more uh with the left side, you know, the left leg up, even if I'm only sitting 25, I can sit that way and not wreck my knees. I can still walk the next day. For a while there, what I was doing was uh, not good on the left knee, and I didn't sit on the left with the left side up as much. But now I think it's going better. Um, so, yeah, no, I don't have a lineage of body work like uh, Rolfing or uh, Feldenkrais or anything. Uh -huh. Or even Alexander's technique's a really interesting one. Yeah. But at the same time, I think, you know, there's stuff out there that matches up pretty well with especially the literature of Tai Chi, or at least that classic literature that's reported by Cheng Man Ching in his 13 chapters. Uh, it's a pretty good match, and it, it's helpful to me. But I don't know. I mean, most most people never have to think about any of this stuff, and it's anathema to most people. So I apologize to your listeners. <laughs> um, well, uh, don't have to, and uh, anathema. I would just say uh, it, uh, it never occurred to them, uh, and and uh, you know. Um, I feel like, you know, when I read your stuff, I feel like, well, I'm, I'm just taking baby steps. Um, you know, uh, you know, I come from a very simple system that f focuses on the Hara. Incidentally, a lot of people don't realize that because, uh, you know, uh, like Suzuki wouldn't say it that much. Uh, but, mm -hmm. uh, uh, it, it was central. I mean, he'd say it now and then, but a lot of times he'd say, follow your breath or sit or something. Uh, one, yeah. one thing uh, I found interesting 
if you look at Buddha's, uh, uh, and you, you probably know more about this than I do because I've just sort of, uh, glanced at it and read over it. But Buddha's original teaching on, uh, on meditation, uh, there's a, a, a number of different, uh, some different versions, but, you know, one of them is just, uh, uh, now I'm taking a short breath. Uh, now I'm taking oh, yeah. a long, now I'm, I'm just breathing a long breath. And, and then you'll see, um, the, the Vipassana, uh, a lot of it is, uh, the early Vipassana is noting maybe, uh, more like, uh, could be, uh, in, in your system, noting all sorts of, uh, movements of the body, feelings in the body, uh, thoughts yeah, uh, impulses and stuff but the the uh but then there's the type that focuses on the breath going in and out of the nose but every theravadan teacher every vipassana teacher i have uh uh been with here they do what they call the mahasa method which is just like zatsin lower abdomen mm. Uh, yeah. So it's totally uh, compatible with what I heard. And if they were doing something else, I wouldn't pay any attention to it. I'd still just do the the hara. Right. Uh, and, uh, it's an interesting thing that Gotama does not go into any physical detail. No. Really, other than to say, you know, sit down cross-legged, holding the body erect. And you're right, that instruction about the long and short, that's the second of the 16 elements in the mindfulness that he said was his own way of living. Um, but, you know, Ru Jing contradicted him. Um, Dogen, I think, reported that Ru Jing said something like, uh, the breath uh, arrives at and enters the Tantian, uh, the inhalation arrives at and enters the Tantian uh, from nowhere, and therefore there's no longer short. Uh, the breath exits the Santian to nowhere, and therefore there's no longer short of the exhalation. Well, I, I wouldn't say that's a contradiction. That's just looking at it from a different point of view. That's right. You're right. You know. But uh, it's, it's interesting that he yeah. was aware of that instruction. Yeah, that's a it. that's more from an emptiness or a. That's from from a, a higher level. Uh, when, when when to me when Buddha. Buddha's teaching there is, is very simple and fundamental. Uh, also, hey, yeah. an, another thing, uh, uh, like I knew some people like they'd just gotten into Zen and they were familiar with uh, more like traditional Buddhist stuff. Uh, they'd say, oh, we have to sit uh, full lotus with the left foot on top of the thigh only Buddha sits with the right foot on top of the thigh. Well, I never paid attention to that because I thought, right. you know, I wanted to do both ways. One thing, it, it, it was like giving a vacation to the other way a little bit, you well, know. My, my, judo, my judo teacher when I was in high school uh, insisted that his students learn the throws left side and right side. And the Japanese uh, judoka uh, were known for executing their uh, winning techniques on the left side. Oh, really? And the, European, the Europeans did their techniques on the right side 
And in many cases, their techniques consisted of a takedown, and they would win their matches on the mat, as opposed to the Japanese that would win standing. Oh, so, oh, yeah. There's all that, and yeah, in the three pillars of Zen, I think there's uh, insistence that you got to sit with the left leg on top. Yeah, uh, one thing in uh, uh, a lot of uh, civilized cultures uh, <laughs> is. Um, they they haven't paid attention to the 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 you know the how, what percent five percent or something that are left-handed, uh, and and to try to force them to do. Uh, my father was uh, forced uh, to write with his right yeah. hand, which was very yeah. hard. And I'm I'm just talking to somebody, uh, who's uh, the, the, the who was it? oh yeah his um. They they tied his left arm uh, to the, the nuns in the school, tied his yeah. left arm to the, his body and told him the devil is left-handed and he had to write with his right hand. And then his mother heard that and went and talked to the priest and chewed him out and the priest chewed the nuns out and he could write left-handed after that. But uh, uh, I, I just wonder if there's that sort of Problem like in Japan, I, 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 they they definitely had problems with that because everybody has to do the same, and you know, uh, it, it was like redhead. Japan, Japan has redheads, uh, and they'd have to dye their hair black to be like the others. I don't think these days they have to, but wow. how how much? But as that left 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 handedness. Uh, well, of course. I think there's something to it. You know, I think there's yeah. definitely, it may be easier to uh, bring the body to a, bring the body mind to a point and initiate that kind of automatic activity of the whole body uh, with the left, left side. Um, what would you say in, in, in dominance? It may that may you know I mean think they say that left-handers are more right-brain dominant, um, and I think there's definitely uh, a left and a right-brain ism in uh, zazen. You know, there's the particular mm-hmm. uh, which stays, and then there's the perception of the whole. Um, and maybe sitting left-handed uh, is conducive to right hemisphere dominance or something like that. Mm. Totally guessing. Mm. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know. You know. I have a question here. Um, uh, where were you born? I was born in Wisconsin. Oh. But the family left there after one year. Oh, uh, don't run into that lot. I just, uh, the guy whose arm was tied was, is from Wisconsin. <laughs> he's, uh, he's a neighbor of mine here. <laughs> uh, well, I did so enjoy hearing about your upbringing in Texas. I was kind of a surprise that your parents were so liberal. Uh, yeah, um, open-minded, uh, 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 very fortunate, you know, uh, that, uh, 
the the, um, the the New Thought Christianity um, a tradition, which sort of I, I call the precursor to the New Age. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> but all right, you came from there. What year were you born? Uh, 50. 1950? So, um, yeah, I'm younger than you by six years. Ah, well, I'm 45. Ah. Uh, what, what month? <laughs> what, what month? In June. Oh, hey, you got a birthday coming up. So you're, uh, uh, you're younger than me by five and a half months, something like that. Uh, or almost Five and a period March, April, yeah. May, June. Actually, one five and a third months. <laughs> no, five and a third years. All right. So, um, what what um, what's your uh, way seeking path story? Uh, uh, you know, I was just unhappy with my mind when I was like fifteen. Really, though, I think I got my start. When I was in sixth grade, uh, I read um, Battle for the Mind by Sargent, which was his account of what's really going on, what was really going on with Korean brainwashing, North Korean brainwashing, and religious possession. Mm. Uh, He saw a commonality there. Uh, and essentially what he said was, it doesn't matter how strong your will is. Um, there are techniques, uh, and they were employed in North Korea, and they're employed in uh, religious, some religious settings, where you stress an individual out, put them under enough strain, maybe they get a little sick, maybe they haven't been eating right, and one day they wake up and their whole belief structure has changed to whatever it was that you suggested would relieve the stress for them. So in the case of North Korean brainwashing, you know, they woke up believing in communism one day. And in the case of religious conversion, they wind up believing in whatever the tenets of the faith are. He said it's a fundamental underlying survival mechanism of the human brain. Has nothing to do with willpower. So I read that in sixth grade. I think I picked it up at Kepler's books in Menlo Park. Mm. And uh, that was the start of things. So by the time I was in high school, I was very unhappy with my brain. And I went chasing, uh, you know, the various substances that were available in the Bay Area to try to alter my consciousness and find God. And uh, that actually did not really change my relationship to my mind. I was still pretty unhappy with just the way I was, you know, the way my thoughts ran. Um, Anyway, a friend of mine took me down. A friend gave me three pillars of Zen, so I started trying to sit. And I could barely sit five minutes Taylor when I started out. And then uh, by the time I was in college, I was a little better. A friend took me down to hear Coven speak because I was in Santa Cruz at that point. And uh, he was so impressive to me. And he said some great things like, take your time with the Lotus. So 
I never became a student of any teacher, but I did keep sitting all kinds of years. And uh, in San Francisco one day in uh, 75, I was sitting in my room, which was a little room under a staircase in the panhandle, mm. and sitting on a chair, and my body got up and walked to the door. And I didn't will my body to get up and walk to the door. What I was trying to do that day was just be aware of every breath in and every breath out. And suddenly my body got up and walked to the door. And from then on, you know, I wanted I wanted to do that. I wanted to act from that place all the time in everything. But I couldn't, you know, uh, come and go. And... Uh, so I learned that I, you know, if if I stood at the door and my body went through the door at work, then I would put that aside and I would do my work and not think about it uh, and assume I should be there. But, you know, sometimes I would walk across town and meet people that I didn't know were there. Uh, it was a very powerful experience. And in, in the 80s, I went to hear Coben speak at the SSN Center, and at the close of the lecture, he said, you know, sometimes Zazen gets up and walks around. So I knew what he was talking about, but it didn't make sitting in the lotus any easier for me, which surprised the hell out of me. Mm. Um, it took me until the 80s before I started to study. Uh, I went to the UCSF library. That's where I learned about Farfan and Bartolink, Bartolink and Rakovetsky, Farfan and LeMay. Um, I ordered up a copy of the Pali Sermons from the Pali Tech Society, uh, started reading those. And all the time I, I was trying to write to explain to myself and other people what the experience was that I'd had and what its significance should be in my life. So I think it turns out that Gautama would set up that experience every day when he would sit. And he could summon it up again. He would arrive at uh, where the one point of attention placed by the movement of breath could move anywhere in the body. He would arrive at that point uh, with the action of breath being uh, automatic from that one point. And then he would take the sign of the concentration, which is the shape of the body, what the body was like at that moment. He would use that during the day as he needed uh, to summon, summon up, to recover one-pointedness of mind and automatic activity. But for the most part, he would go on with thought applied and sustained, but he would he would stick with one point. He had one point going on most of the time, especially in the rainy season. Um, and that was his way of life, not, not the concentrations that would take him to the attainment associated with his enlightenment. He didn't do that every day. What he did every day was arrive at the movement of breath being automatic activity through a one-pointedness, through allowing the breath to place attention 
and through a presence of mind that allowed the placement of attention to shift um, involuntarily. So this is important to me. I mean, this tells me what is the role of that experience I had in 75 in my life? Why did it take me 50 years, you know, to uh, satisfy myself? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Can you can you hear the cat? No. No. She's burning. Hmm. No. I'm petting the cat. <laughs> ah. She's keeping me calm here. Ah. Ah. Well. Yeah. Story of my life. There, you got the whole. That's good. Um, That's good. It's unique. You have a unique story. You have a unique um, practice, and you have a unique message. Uh, what's your uh, to, to um, uh, I, I I I if someone wants to follow you uh, now, you, you, you your blog is uh, zenmudra dot com. So Z e m u d r a dot com yeah zenmudra.com and your right. your facebook is zen notes zazen notes right zazen. And the blog is there the blog is there on the website as well everything on the facebook page is just a link to zenmudra.com/zazen-notes that's the subdirectory that's the blog yeah, but you can get to that if you get to zenmudra.com. Then you can click on the navigation for Zazen Notes. And really, I think my the best my best set of words so far is right there in the current uh, post on the site. Um, my past writings, what I think are the best of those past writings since 2005 when I've had the website. Those are on zenmudra.com, and you can go from one to the next through the whole thing. The kinesthesiology is at the end. The actual 16 elements of Gautama's way of living, his mindfulness, are there in the appendix as well. So it's up there. And um, recently, you know, I redid the whole website and had occasion to read all 200 and 16 posts, I think, since mm. 2005 that I had up there. And some of them I thought, oh, that one's borderline, but I kept all of them. And there, there is, it's amazing to me, but the, the place I'm writing from has, has been reasonably consistent. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it's up there if anybody's interested. My email is up there somewhere. Yeah. Zenmudra.com. Yeah. 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 Thanks, David. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, Mark, it's been really good uh, talking with you. This is, uh, 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 like I say, you have a unique uh, practice there and a unique message. It's nice to talk to you as well, David. Yeah, and uh, we will continue being in touch. Uh, 
uh, as long until the um, uh, everything falls apart from. Oh, no, let me just ask you, uh, what do I you so. wh- what do you think about um, uh, climate change? Well, I think it's real. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there are a few catastrophes in our face right now. Who would imagine, you know, so many years after Silent Spring that really nothing has changed in terms of um, the chemicals in our environment. Um, Now we have plastics in our environment. And now we have climate change, which may be the most immediate of all. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I continue to feel like uh, all I can do is try to be the change, as it were, um, and hope that um, what I have to do for myself uh, can be, perhaps be useful to a broader community, to the broader community. Um, we'll see. You know, Facebook gives me the opportunity to uh, boost my posts. Mm-hmm. So, the link to my latest post there has something like 170 likes now and 11 shares. So I'm happy about that, you know, that at least there are some eyes on my, my work, if I can call it that. Um, they don't charge very much and they show it to a lot of people. Somebody put a can of spam a rotating can of spam in the comments. I, sorry, sorry about that. Uh, but for the most part, um, <laughs> people, people are pretty open. People take it in a variety of ways. You know, I think some people just look at the picture on the post and the paragraph that I put to introduce it and they like it at that and go on. But you know, there's something like, I don't know, um, forget how many people have clicked through now to the actual website, but uh, it's probably more than 40. And I feel great about that. I'm happy that Facebook gives me that opportunity because I don't see that I'm going to publish anytime soon. Um, even though, you know, what amazes me is how few people have really uh, read the Pali sermons, especially people in Zen. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had more interest in what the original guy said, but it's almost like a code, what the original guy said. You know, you have to have the key to the cypher, and the keys are hidden in volume one of the uh, numbered things, whereas the... Uh, other part of the key is hidden in the gathered sayings in volume five, something like that, you know? So and mm. it took me a time, but I'm still, it, it amazes me that people aren't uh, delving into the history and delving into the medical science, you know? The descriptions in Tai Chi and the descriptions in Kundalini Yoga, those have been out there. Mm. Uh, Nobody seems to be interested in pinning down exactly what 
is going on there. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's because it's so hard to gather it up and make sense of it. It sure has been for me. Mm. But uh, I keep thinking people will be more interested than they have been so far. But I keep hoping. I keep hoping. <laughs> uh, well, uh, yeah, I understand. Um, uh, I, you know, um, you're, what you're doing, uh, and what you put out will, uh, actually reach to the furthest, uh, reaches of the universe. So there we go. you're just looking at the wrong numbers. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Land, and I just have to pray that that's the way it works. Yeah. Certainly we have teachers who have given their lives on the basis of that belief. Yeah. And we bow to them. Yeah. Well, okay, Mark. Very good. Very good. Uh, nice to talk to you, David. Yeah, good <laughs> to talk with you. Uh, and uh, until we meet again. Until we meet again, take care. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. So um, thanks a lot, Mark. I appreciate that. Unique, man. Uh, yeah, you know, I was talking to him. I had my legs down a while. I was just thinking about this because he talks about posture so much. And, you know, everywhere where I work, I can put my legs up or down. I had special chairs made. I sit on three different sort of like couches, uh, like settees. Katrinka calls them settees. Anyway, so I had my legs down for a while. I was talking to Mark. But afterwards, after a while, I had to put them up because sitting with my legs too, down too long, it bothers me. It's interesting, huh? Now I've thought about this more, you know, since I recorded that. And that seems to me, you know, reviewing my past to be when I'm working. I prefer that I can sit at a table with a chair and work for a long time. I get up every once in a while, you know. You know, well, you know we should do that. You get up and move around for a couple of minutes at least. Uh, every, you know, it's best every 30 minutes. That's too much. Forty-five's uh, good. Uh, uh, you know, uh, sometimes I get lost and I look, oh, my God, it's been two hours. Uh, but working, I feel more comfortable with my legs up. But not working either way. Well, still like my legs up. But, you know, uh, I go to a movie and sit very seldom, actually, about once every two years. Anyway, I'll sit in the chair uh, I, I was at the hospital the other day waiting my turn to see a doctor. And um, I sat in a chair for two hours and I slept a lot. I got up. I'd, I'd just wake up and I'd stand up because I didn't want to leave the chair and lose my place because it was right facing the door where the nurse comes out and calls your name. Um, incidentally, the reason it was so long is I'd made a mistake. It, 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 it wouldn't have been. It would have been 15 minutes if I hadn't had done something wrong. But anyway, I just wanted to add that it's not as simple as 
I'm not comfortable with my legs uh, down. No, I can be, sure. All right, enough of that. Anyway, uh, thanks a lot, Mark. This has been a Cuke audio podcast. I'm DC Puba of Cuke Podcast and Cuke Archives coming to you from Sleepy Sanur with Doggett Bandita and Dear Lovely Katrinka. And we're wishing you and yours and all of us a grand awakening. <laughs>